Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. I have a friend here called a stool. Uh, I've been having back trouble the last few weeks. Not sure why, but I may have to sit. So anyway, if I do, you know why. But it's great to be sharing the word with you this morning. And as you know, we're, we're beginning a series, The King's Speech, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through seven, right? As you know, one of the greatest and most misunderstood pieces of Scripture. And so we'll be looking at it. And uh, this morning I want to begin by just reminding us of this obvious truth. It's the king's speech because the king is speaking, Right? And if you uh, think of that, that's a great reminder, isn't it? The king is speaking. Because the Lord Jesus, when he was here, as you remember, uh, looked like pretty much anyone else you would see. In spite of all the drawings of him, he didn't wear a brilliant white outfit. And he didn't have his hair blown with a dryer, you know, a hair dryer. But he would look just like the rest of them. But when he spoke, the crowds knew something was radically different. He spoke the same words that they often spoke in the synagogue. But when he spoke those words, there would be a hush on the crowd. And when he delivered the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of it, it says they were astonished because he spoke as one with authority and not as the scribes and the teachers of the day. So I think we have a text coming up, Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. But you remember that great text? In times past, God spoke to us through the prophets in various ways, in various means, But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. And, of course, another text, who is the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. And so that that is so powerful to remember. And so that as we come again to look at this Sermon on the Mount and read some that they seem like pretty short and pithy things, Well, remember, it's the king speaking, which reminds us there was another time in history that someone spoke from a mountain. And it was God speaking to Moses, right? And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus speaking from the mount, and he's speaking with that same authority. The difference being is when Moses heard God speak, the mountain quaked. There was lightning, there was thunder, 
volcanic activity, all kinds of audiovisual effects because God was speaking. When Jesus spoke, there was a powerful inner authority. And that's something for us to always pray about every Sunday because that's how God has always chosen to work, isn't it? And so as we think of that, we want to just reflect back on John 14:25 to 26, which is a promise to us. And that's where Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, the great thing he's going to do is bring all of these things to your remembrance, right? Have you ever wondered how the disciples remembered anything? How do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? And there's Matthew writing it out. Okay, writing out the Sermon on the Mount, you'll bring everything to your remembrance. Remember also the, the statement or the idea, how much did the disciples ever understand when Jesus spoke about this much? And you thought, well, why did he teach if they're not getting anything? But remember it said, when the Holy Spirit comes... He will bring it to your remembrance. And then remember the, the account in Luke chapter 24, 44 to 45. In that text, you have the road to Emmaus, and the two disciples are walking with Jesus, and he opened to them the scriptures. And then it said he breathed on them later that day and opened their minds to the Scriptures. So always remember that. That's so powerful to remember. So that when we come and look at a text like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, we must realize immediately those words are from the king. They're God, it's God telling us something that's so incredibly important And yet it's such a pithy little statement, blessed are the poor in spirit. And yet in those words, we somehow know, as he says, it's the secret of the kingdom. And so we we pray then, Lord, open our eyes to see what this is. Because as you know, as saints, we begin our journey as believers in Christ. Does it ever end, though? Do you ever stop being a follower? Do you ever stop being a learner? Do we ever stop growing? And so these statements we're going to see are not just a one-time thing that happens to a person, but rather it's the, it's a beginning of a walk and then a full development of each of these tremendous things in our life. So blessed are the poor in spirit. And I'm going to spend most of our time this morning on this particular beatitude because what you're going to see, I think, if if I'm right, (laughs) is that this actual beatitude is the beatitude upon which all the others flow out of. Like without this one, none of the others would ever happen because they're... It's a beatitude, and all the beatitudes are linked. You don't just have one beatitude in your life. But rather, Jesus is unfolding the character 
of the born-again Christian, the man, woman, child made new in Christ. And that's what these are describing. And so when we look at blessed are the poor in spirit, the first thing I want to say is this is not a natural trait. And don't ever think he's talking about anything natural. That you're going to go around and you're going to find people in the world, a group of them that are poor in spirit. That's who he's talking about, whatever it means. But rather, it's not a natural trait. This is not something you're born with. Now, all of you know about dogs, right? Some dogs are born with certain dispositions. Have you ever noticed that? And other dogs are born with a different disposition, and you can never turn that dog into that dog. They're, they're born that way. Have you ever wondered why you can put dog meat in front of a dog, and he'll eat it, but you don't put hay in front of a dog, inspect them to eat it. And so it's like these. These are not natural traits of anybody in the world, but rather poor in spirit, if we keep it real simple, is this. It's seeing yourself in the presence of God. It's seeing yourself in the presence of God. And we're going to have some illustrations from Scripture that, that reveal that for us. So it's, it's not so much when a person sees himself in the presence of God, you're suddenly aware, oh, I stole the chocolate bar. I'm a bad boy. Or I did this or that wrong. What it is, it's simply an overwhelming sense of our being so different than God is. And, and so different in everything we are. Like, like Paul the Apostle puts it clearly for us. He said, as pertaining the law, he said, I was perfect. He knew all about keeping rules and regulations. He knew how to serve a system of religion. And he fulfilled it perfectly. And when the Holy Spirit came upon Paul, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. And what did he mean by that? It meant when the Spirit finally spoke to me and opened my eyes to see what I am, I realized I am not a man full of love for God. I am not a man motivated and, and live my whole life because of my love for my neighbors. But I see myself selfish, egocentric, covetous. Even though I keep all of these rules, when the presence of God came upon Paul, he suddenly realized, I'm undone. And then he said, the riches of Christ poured into me. Isn't that an amazing picture? And so think of it as poor in spirit. It's when a person becomes aware of their total need of the grace of God and the righteousness of Christ. It's when that becomes the overpowering realization. Suddenly, all self-effort just pours away. You know, once in a while you hear people say to me, 
uh, and say to other people, of course, not just me, but they say, you know, if I was, if I was just good enough to receive the gospel. But poor in spirit is the whole point. That is when you're ready to receive Christ is when you become aware of yourself in the presence of God. Now, did you realize that I want you to look at this? I want you to be studiers these weeks, as you all are good studiers, right? I know every week after Tom preaches and Dana preaches, you go home and you you study it up, right? And so some challenges as we go through this series, not just today, but the whole series, is keep thinking of this. Is anything Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, is it actually found all through the Bible? Even though he, he brings it together in such a, a concise, pithy statement, bang, do we actually see the principles of it running right through Scripture? Like, for instance, when did the teaching, the just shall live by faith, really first become clear in the Bible? Was it with the coming of Jesus? Was it with the preaching of Paul and the apostles? Or was it way back Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. You see, the principle of faith started with Adam and Eve. The principle of receiving grace through faith runs right through the Bible. And so the poor in spirit, I want you to do your own study on this, How many times can you locate in the Bible the principle of the poverty of spirit, realizing who and what we are in the presence of God, and we realize we're total spiritual paupers, beggars. We had nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to the cross we cling, right? So think of Isaiah 66.2, some Old Testament scriptures on this. And it says there, this is the one I esteem. This is God speaking. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Now, do you see the poverty of spirit there? Do you see the idea that humble, contrite in spirit, brokenhearted, and these are the ones that the one I will esteem, says the Lord. See, that principle is there. You go to Micah 6.8. We love singing this one. I didn't get a hold of the team early enough to, to get them to sing this one today, but... We see it, and that is Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, if you don't know about humility, go to the back today, buy my book, Humility and How I Attained It. 
You see, humility is not something you just put on. Humility is a result of having been in the presence of God. Like a lot of people that seem to be humble are actually just shy. They might not be humble at all. Because humility only really comes when I see myself in the presence of God. And that's when I suddenly realize who I am, but how wonderful my brethren are. It changes my whole attitude about all of you when I suddenly see myself in the presence of God. Psalm 51, of course, the great psalm of repentance of David. 51.3, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Two things there. Transgression is actually breaking God's law, right? But sin is a principle. It's a principle at work in us whereby we fall short of all that God wants for us, meaning a blazing heart of love for God and a blazing heart of love for all of humanity, especially my brothers and sisters. So let's look at a few illustrations because word pictures are so much more powerful than just words. And so the Lord gave us an ample number of these. And a couple of them are uh, the leper. Okay, remember in Matthew 8, the New Testament account of Jesus, a leper comes to Jesus, and what does he do? Does he, does he, is he aware of his problem? Yeah, he's been crying out all his life. Unclean, unclean. He, no doubt about his recognition of his need. And suddenly, he's in the presence of Christ. And he's heard Christ's words. And in his heart, there's been a deep stirring by Christ's words and his miracles. So he falls at his feet and says, If you're willing, you can make me clean. That's poor in spirit. Take that into the spiritual realm, into the heart realm, into the inner realm of our life, and it's that same feeling of coming into Christ's presence. And if you're willing, you and you alone can make me clean. And like I said, does this poverty of spirit begin and then end just when you come to Christ? No. Because I have now been a Christian since I was about 16, so that's about 10 years now. (laughs) Am Am I aware of my need of Christ more today than I was at 16. Absolutely. Poverty of spirit, it actually grows within us in our walk with Christ. So that you have like the great Apostle Paul, he says, have I arrived? No, he says, count all but loss, but I press on. And that's the believer, isn't it? Never having arrived, but always pressing on. For the high calling. And then in Luke 18.10, the self-righteous and broken-hearted 
and you remember that great scene in the Bible where the the Pharisee who represents everything about me doing religion to make God happy, right? That's what that's all about. So if it's me doing everything to make God happy, there I am in the temple, look at me, right? I tithe. I do this, I do that, I do the other. And then over on the side, there's that tax collector who won't even lift up his eyes. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's, that's us always, isn't it? So we're, we're always aware of who we are, but always abundantly aware of the provider and the tremendous gift of righteousness in Christ, right? Then, of course, we old-timers call it the story of the prodigal son, but it's the story of the wayward son, and we know that story so well, right? And remember that said the, the boy was in a pig pen in a far country, and he came to his senses. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, we've just got word from a friend, close friend from my last church, about a son who went into the music world, totally lost his way, and he's been being prayed for like mad. And just recently, he wrote a new one, and it's about the prodigal realizing he's lost. Poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. And so that's such a tremendous thing. Now, like I said, there it is in the Old Testament. There it is all through Jesus' teaching. And suddenly in the book of Acts, Peter's preaching his first sermon. This is all new to Peter. Never been to Bible college. Never been to theological college. But he did what Jesus said, tarry here till the Holy Spirit comes. And they did. Some great things started to happen. Peter opened his mouth, started to preach. And suddenly a whole bunch in the audience said, Peter, what must we do? They were, it said they were cut to the heart. Well, what did that? Is it just Peter had a fantastic way of preaching? <laughs> he had never preached before. Imagine that, his first sermon. And it probably wasn't much of a sermon. It was actually a string of pearls. There's a whole bunch of truths tied together, but weren't systematic. <laughs> anyway, he preached. Many in the crowd cry out, what must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And you'll be saved and you'll receive the gift of the Spirit. There's poverty of spirit. What happened to that group? The Spirit of God came and opened them to the presence of God. Folks, when we as the church live these Beatitudes, which is the Spirit of God living in us, we become the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. We become the church with the presence of God. And when people come amongst us, And if we're all praying for this and seeking it, 
Just by being in our presence, the Lord can powerfully speak and bring that awareness of who they are in the presence of God. Something you can't, you can never convince a person they need Christ. You can do your part, pray, share, but who brings that conviction of heart where they finally say, what must I do? I mean, isn't that a gift when people come to you and say, what must I do? We're busy trying to get them there, right? <laughs> and it, that's where it takes a lot of prayer. So with this first beatitude, and I want you to flesh it out more, think about it, but it's really that self-awareness in the presence of God of our utter need and realizing Christ is the full answer. Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, meaning the presence of God in this world, his kingdom, his reality. We, we become part of that. We enter it. We, we live in it, and it's a tremendous new thing of joy. Now, we have another picture here of, uh, I think, of children playing. Is that the next one? Yeah. See, that, that's what we're really like, but we don't get it because we're all together in it, right? Having a great time. But when poverty of spirit comes, we recognize this is, this is not it. This is not where we should be. This is not what we're made for. And suddenly, what do we have? Ah, running on the beach, free and happy, right? You can see the sudden change, blessedness. And so those that are poor in spirit and receive Christ and enter the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Are they blessed? What greater blessing in life? What greater joy and sense of happiness? I belong to the king. I'm a child of the king, and the kingdom of heaven is mine. A joyous thing. And then the next one is, remember in book, the book of Acts, Peter touches this man on the steps. He is healed. What does he do? Throws his cane away, and he's leaping and jumping and praising God. Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so our blessedness goes on and on. And like I said, if this first one is, is not understood and seen in Scripture, uh, the kingdom of heaven is closed and it becomes just religiosity, just performance, just legalism. But when it's between a person and God, and they realize who they are and how much they need Him and His grace, it becomes a living thing. And the Holy Spirit is in the middle of it. Now, when you take this first one, then, blessed are the poor in spirit, take that inner quality of what's happened, and you'll begin to see that naturally this person, poor in spirit, is also one who mourns. And what's he mourning about? What's this individual, what is it that's heavy upon them? And it is his own condition and the condition of the world causes him 
to mourn. Lord, it's not just that we see politicians and all kinds of other people making bad decisions. We see the poverty. Their poverty goes far deeper. That that they, in fact, are without God and living in darkness. And so you see this with Jesus. Like, for instance, remember he would look on the crowd and it said he would have compassion because they were sheep without a shepherd. I look at crowds, especially, you know, leaders in our country, and I can forget that I need to have compassion and I need to mourn for these people. They can't help. They're living like ducks because they're ducks. And until they're born anew, they can only behave like a duck. Right? So don't expect things from the leadership of our country and other places that are of Christian value. Don't ever believe them to get it. They don't get it. They won't get it. And we need to mourn. Mourn because of the situation of the world. But in our mourning, there's comfort because what's the comfort in our mourning? It's the fact we have an answer. We have a cure. We have, we have one we can go to. We have one, and we remember the Old Testament, there's a bomb in Gilead that makes the spirit whole. Remember that old song? And so just think of that. The poor in spirit leads to mourning, which leads to meekness, and never confuse meekness with being, with, with being, uh, 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 you know, a person who's shy, a person who's withdrawn, a person who's got no self-confidence. That's not meekness. That might be meekness in the dif- in the dictionary. But meekness in the scripture is when we give all of our rights, all of who we are, our experiences, our life, our future, we lay it before God and trust him. And you'll see that in the life of Christ, right? In the hard experiences, he didn't retaliate. But meekness is a powerful thing. Remember the song, Meekness and Majesty. Remember that one we sang? Did you ever sing that one in church? Meekness and majesty. It's not an old hymn. It's new. <laughs> like 30 years ago. <laughs> but anyway, remember, meekness is a powerful thing. It's not weak. Because you're gaining your strength from the, your defender, not from yourself. It's your total giving yourself over to your defender to defend you, to stand up for you, to carry your cause and not become a a fighter full of self-determination and so on. And then, of course, uh, merciful is simply the outflow of, of mourning. Merciful is, remember the simple principle, as you have received the grace and mercy of God, so you do what with it? You share it. And do you know if 
if if we believers let the Holy Spirit really work in us to produce the fruit of the Beatitudes, which he's working in us, but sometimes we can resist it. And uh, But if, if we as believers lived it, there would never be an issue in this church. Do you know that? I'm not saying there's an issue. <laughs> I'm saying there would never be an issue because we're not handling it through bigotry and self-interest, but through gentleness and meekness, poverty of spirit, and concern for the other. See, most troubles all come down to one huge thing. My feelings got hurt. And by George, someone's going to pay. <laughs> anyway, so it's so powerful to see these things at work. So as you think of it through the week, because we're actually doing four Beatitudes today, if you kind of recognize what I was doing there, and that's tough to do because you can see everyone is pregnant with meaning. And so that's how Jesus taught. He would throw this out poor in spirit and then kind of think, I wonder what they're going to do with that. <laughs> and so real disciples will go, go and seek the answer. What is he talking about? That's so different than anything I've heard. And Blessed are those that mourn. What's that about? Who wants to have a blessing out of mourning? And meekness. I mean, isn't that opposite of everything we should be? Especially all the self-help books that want to get us off that principle. So anyway, it's powerful stuff. And so as we think of it, our final application is this morning... There may be some of you here this morning, and we praise God if you've been brought to this place. But you are beginning to recognize yourself in the presence of God and your need of Christ. And that is a great moment, a moment where the Spirit is saying to you, It's time to embrace Christ. Believe in Him. Trust Him. Receive beauty for your ashes. And don't pretend that you see the whole thing of poor in spirit. You're no longer pretending that you don't have ashes, but you embrace your ashes. This is what I am. For the rest of us that have believed and are walking with Christ maybe many years, to go back and revisit this, Am I walking as a believer in the poverty of spirit? Because then God can continually fill us as we walk in our poverty. And then it helps us to remember to pray this for others. How do we pray for the lost? And we must realize the absolute essential nature of the Holy Spirit working. And we must realize we are helpless. Salvation is of the Lord. And remember when Jonah said that in the belly of the whale, it barfed him up. Because he said that great truth, salvation's of the Lord. And then he saw it in Nineveh. He didn't want any part of it. 
the Spirit of God came down on Nineveh, and they repented. That's how we need to pray, that God would be at work with our children that might be wayward, people we know, others that haven't come, to recognize the need of the work of the Spirit. And then to finally be done with behavioral Christianity, that it's all about keeping the rules. Righteousness is to flow out of this, but not by rule keeping, but by the principles of life. And you'll see that in every one of the Beatitudes, it is a quality of the inner life created by the Holy Spirit. So you don't go out and do the Beatitudes. You become the Beatitudes by seeking God to live and abide in you so that these become the fruit of your life and my life. I think I've come to the end. No more pages. But we have a final song we're going to sing, and the worship team's going to come up. Now, how, how many of you remember those great scenes of Billy Graham where when it came to that moment of invitation, and then the choir would sing behind Billy Graham, Just As I Am. And we kind of always thought that that hymn is an invitation for the lost. The lady that wrote it wrote it as a present reality in her own life, meaning this is my life song. It's always just as I am. It's always that. So as we sing this, you might be one who haven't taken that step toward Christ. I ask you, talk to myself or Dana. But for the rest of us, refocus on your personal life with Christ through these tremendous words. Thank you. Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching.